seated. Well, again, welcome, welcome to Emmanuel, and um, uh, welcome to worship with the people of God. I, I want to invite you to turn to the beginning of your Acts reading, because we're going to exegete every single verse. <laughs> You can now put very long scripture reading badge on your Anglican get-up after today. Thank you, Mary, for reading it with life and passion. Oh, yes, okay. There we go. Well, it's hard to find who said this, but it's true. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. It's true, we are all fighting a battle of one kind or another. The way I'd like to define battle today is that a battle is a significant challenge in front of you that has the power to strengthen or destroy you. It's a significant battle in front of you and has the power to strengthen or destroy you. There's no turning back. If it's truly your battle, it's something that you own. You're not going to run away from it or pretend it's not there. You're going to engage it with hope. So if it's truly a battle for you, you own it. And there's no turning back from it. But it can change your life for good or for bad. It has the power to strengthen you or it has the power to destroy you. I remember maybe one of the hardest battles I've ever fought was a 10-day gauntlet between June 23rd, 2008, and July 3rd, 2008. I've told some of you about this. Um, So in this 10-day gauntlet, the challenge that Laura and I had to face was that Laura needed to have a baby before my job's insurance dropped us. Um, I needed to finish the job that I was finishing up. Um... We needed to pack our apartment. We needed to, uh, to um, move to Washington, D.C. from Chicago. Um, we needed to find temporary housing, move into temporary housing, find a new job, find a new church in a city that we had never lived in. And we needed to start a new life, a new season in our life as a family of four. New baby, new city, unknown job, New church, new house, moving across the country in 10 days. That was one of the biggest battles I've ever faced in my life, and I was scared. Um, But I knew that that's what we were called to do. Laura and I were, were united on this. We know we're called to D.C. We're not exactly sure why, actually. We just know we're called to. Um, some people thought we were crazy, could have wrecked us. There was no turning back. It was a significant challenge in front of us that had the power to strengthen us or destroy us. I could have never seen all of the good that would have come from facing that battle. Let's think about your battles. I'll throw out a few examples, but feel free to fill in the blanks with your own. Maybe you're fighting an addiction. You're addicted to pornography. You're addicted to alcohol or some other substance. You're addicted to gambling. And you can see freedom from the addiction in the horizon and you want so badly 
to be in the land of freedom. You can see freedom and you want it so badly. But your old habits won't die easy. If you give up now, um, if you lose the battle now, it could get worse. Because you may have less hope on the other end of losing the battle than in fighting it. The addiction might even get more of a stronghold. You're facing that battle. Or maybe you're fighting for a relationship, but you're not getting a response. There's someone whose heart you want to win. There's someone whose trust you want to earn. A child of yours, or a romantic interest, or your own spouse. But they keep putting you at a distance. You're fighting to win their heart, but they keep putting you at a distance. And you can see what good it would do if you could win their heart, win their trust, and make progress in the relationship. You're fighting a very difficult battle relationally. Or perhaps you're fighting for a project in your vocation, in your work. You own this initiative. You believe in it so much that you've invested your time, your, your credibility, your future even into this initiative. You have a vision of what it could become. You have a vision of what good it could do for your company, for your people, for your art. But you need support from a coalition of people who couldn't care less. They fight you. They love the status quo. They don't buy the vision. And they're pushing back, or they're rolling their eyes, or they're passively, aggressively saying, yes, but. We face battles in our jobs. We face battles in our relationships. We face tough battles in our parenting, ministries, and even in our relationships with ourselves. Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. I wonder how you would fill in the blank. What battle have you owned? And you know that that it could destroy you, it could discourage you, or it could really actually change your life for the better. Usually we're fighting more than one at a time. Now here's what happens when we get inside of a battle. Here's our temptation. We are tempted when we are facing a battle to get tunnel vision. As we ride closer to the battle, as our chariot gets closer to the action, our vision gets narrower and narrower, and we start to see less and less of reality. And all of a sudden, our world contracts until all we can see is the challenge in front of us and us. And that's all we can see. And we begin to speak and act as if everything rides on us. We say messages to ourselves such as, I'm all alone. I have to fix this. This is all up to me. I have to survive. And we go into survival mode, and it's just me and the challenge. When we get tunnel vision, we can't pray. Because God seems uncaring and distant. When we get tunnel vision, we start carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders because there's no one stronger or more responsible than we are. At least that's what it's, how it seems. That's what we believe. There's nobody stronger. There's nobody more responsible than me. And so I have to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. When we give in a tunnel vision, when we are fighting our battles, we will experience profound loneliness and isolation. And that isolation will go all the way down to our core. Friends, listen. We could, we could win the battle and lose our souls in the process. That happens every day of the week. And that is a temptation for every single one of us to win the battle and in the process lose our souls 
and lose our connection with a Father who loves us, who actually wants to meet us in the battle. We could win our romantic interest over. We could win our project over. We could win our children over. We could survive, and we could lose our souls. We're resisting the very person who wants to fight for us and with us. Now today, in our robust reading, we read about a man named Stephen. And uh, Stephen uh, was fighting an extraordinarily hard battle. And I want you to consider what he had to face. First challenge for Stephen, he was an ethnic and cultural bridge in the early church. He was an ethnic and cultural bridge in the early church. He was a Greek-speaking, Greek-ethnic Jew um, uh, in a community started and dominated by Hebraic Jews. And we talked about this last week. But his life and ministry would be, we would see that his life and ministry would be a profound bridge between um, the church that was dominated ethnically and and in terms of its locality in Jerusalem, Jerusalem Jews, Hebraic Jews, to the church spreading throughout the whole Roman Empire, to the Greeks and beyond. He was the bridge. He was an ethnic and cultural bridge. And friends, it is not easy to be an ethnic bridge or a cultural bridge. People walk on you when you're a bridge. You're not sure which country you're in because you bridge two countries. You're on both sides of the river and people on both sides of the river don't understand you. They accuse you of having an agenda. They accuse you of really being on the other side. They don't get the kind of tension that you have to live in bridging a gap between two different ethnicities or two different cultures. But this was God's call on Stephen's life. What a battle that must have been. Second challenge for Stephen. Stephen was a new convert who was quickly raised up to be a leader. I mean, imagine Stephen's life. You're living kind of a quiet, maybe quaint life in in Greece as a Jew in the Jewish diaspora. You know, going to temple and participating in the feast and, ah, you know what, let's take a pilgrimage this year to Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, there's this incredible, powerful moment where you walk in and you hear preaching like you've never heard before. And all of a sudden, you see, you see that Jesus was the Messiah that you've been waiting for and that he's the deliverer, making all things new, and he wants to save you in the process. And all of a sudden, you're, you're confessing Christ. You're getting baptized. You're joining a new community. You're not going back to Greece. And then in the, in the process, they're like, hey, you, you're going to be a leader. In fact, you'll be one of the first uh, non-Hebraic Jew leader we've ever had. So we need you to take the ministry that you've received a few weeks ago and pass it on to all of your people. What a challenge that must have been for Stephen to, as a cultural and ethnic outsider and to be a new believer, to all of a sudden have leadership responsibilities. Third challenge, and this is the one that perhaps I could most relate with. Stephen had to preach an impromptu sermon that made people want to kill him. And I'll tell you, the, just fast forward, spoiler alert, the, the outcome is, is listed. You don't have to look it up, but I'll just read it to you. Chapter 7, verse 54 of Acts. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. I mean, this is definitely the preacher's worst nightmare. Not only are you not prepared, which that's a nightmare, but the congregation has stones in their hands, and they're mad at you. 
So, you're a cultural and ethnic bridge. You're a young convert raised up to leadership, and then you're, you're asked to preach an impromptu sermon that makes people want to kill you. In our text, all three of these pressures compress into a single moment for Stephen. And this is the dynamic of any battle that we're in. Things get compressed into moments. Things get compressed into one conversation. Some of you know this. One conversation can change everything. You can say the wrong thing, or you can say the right thing. You can use the wrong tone, or you could use the right tone. You could have someone having your back or someone not having your back, and that makes all the difference in the world. Some of us can point to conversations in our life that have absolutely changed things for better or for worse. Now, if there's any time in Stephen's life when he was tempted to get tunnel vision and just get through the moment and power up and do it in his own power, it's now. It's when those three things come together. But in his life and in his death, Stephen shows us a better way. Stephen shows us a better way to face the battles that we have. And the, what he shows us is that when you are in the battle, instead of getting tunnel vision, we need to look up and see that God is fighting through us and see that God has fought the battle for us and he's won the battle for us. We need to get out of our tunnel vision. We were in the midst of our battle, whether it's a vocational or a personal battle. And we need to look up and see that God is fighting the battle through us. And God has actually won the battle on our behalf. Let's look and see how Stephen does this. Acts 6 verse 8, we see the impact that the Holy Spirit had on Stephen's soul. And this is so important that right in the bullseye, right in the bullseye of, of how God needed to fight for Stephen, God needed to meet Stephen in his inner man. God needed to meet and encounter Stephen, not first in his external circumstances, but in his soul. Things had to be right there before they had to get right in his external world. And Stephen, full of grace and power, Stephen was full of God's grace and God's power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. It doesn't say that Stephen was extraordinarily talented. It, said that he, it says in Acts 6 earlier on that he was full of faith, that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was, a, uh, was someone who was following Jesus, and you don't follow Jesus in your own power. You follow Jesus saying, hey, look, I am weak. I've got weaknesses. I've got enduring vulnerabilities. But the most important thing is that I have given my weaknesses, my sins, uh, all of the vulnerabilities to Jesus, and he's made a great exchange with me. Jesus has taken all of those things into his cross where he displayed incredible vulnerability, and he's given me the Holy Spirit, which makes me as strong as I need to be to fight the battles in front of me. Um, God gives his sons and his daughters a capacity to fight that they would not otherwise have and he does that through the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 says this, they, um, the, these are opponents, other Greek-speaking Jews that don't like what Stephen is saying and doing, they could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit, capital S, this is referring to the third person of the Trinity, God's Holy Spirit, um, with which he was speaking. 
Um, now, Jesus um, had promised that he would do this. Jesus had promised that he would send his spirit and that he would empower his servants to speak on his authority. He says in Luke 21, before Jesus um, ascended to the Father, he said this to his disciples. He said, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And this was happening to Stephen. And Jesus says this, This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. Now, as a preacher, I'm like, whoa, Jesus. Okay? Now, I have an opportunity to prepare, and I'm very grateful for that, but Stephen was told not to. Jesus continues, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, none of which your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. It says later in... Um, the very last verse in Acts 6, Acts 6, verse 15, gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face, Stephen's face, was like the face of an angel. This is supposed to remind us of one of God's oldest servants, Moses, who after receiving the law from God, communicated it to his people, and part of the legitimacy that Moses had to speak the law on God's behalf was that his face was shining like a nightlight, like a firefly. His face was shining like the moon shines. And you're looking at Moses going, wow, he must be from God. This must be God's servant. And the same thing is happening with Stephen. Stephen is speaking as almost like a moon reflecting the light of the sun. He's not the source of the light, but he's reflecting the light that he's been basking in personally. Now, let me tell you this. If you've not been basking in the light of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is not fighting a battle through you. You might just be fighting your own battle, your own agenda, in your own power. God does not fight every battle. God was empowering Stephen because Stephen had given himself over to God and God's purposes and God's ways. But we read later that Saul was stoning people. God didn't, wasn't empowering Saul to stone people with the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are some battles that don't belong to us that we think are commissioned by God because we really love them. And in some cases, once we get into God's presence and around God's people and under God's word, we realize I'm fighting the wrong battle. And I need to put down these weapons and pick up the weapons of the Spirit. So that is a very important caveat. God does not exist to make us happy or to make our lives work well. God exists to exalt his son and make all things new in the process. But he wants to use me and you in the process. He does. He's calling you to fight battles. Some of those will be through your job. Some of those will be through your relationship. Some of that will be in your own walk with God. There will be incredible battles that you fight, even with yourself, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we are in the midst of those battles, we need to look up from our tunnel vision and see that God is actually fighting the battle through his power in us. This is a deep mystery of the Christian church, the Christian faith, that Christ has united himself to us, and actually he is going to involve us deeply in battles that seem overwhelming. And on the other end of things, we will will see how much he loves us. 
And we will walk with greater confidence that, yes, he's commissioned us to fight battles. I will never, ever forget the job that I found in D.C. I will never, ever forget the perfect strangers that showed up to help us move into our new house. I will never forget getting, getting discounted medical care for Sam when we had no health insurance. I will never forget the food provisions and the financial provisions and the church provisions and the amazing things that God opened up simply because Laura and I walked through the battle of those 10 days of a brand new baby, of a family of four, moving to a city we didn't know, meeting people we'd, ne- we'd never met. I will never forget how God fought that battle and mysteriously used the power of his spirit through me and through Laura and through our weakness. He did it. And that was what he wanted to do. That was his plan all along. It bonded us closer to God. I'm reading a great biography of George Washington, and one of the amazing things about George Washington's life is that, you know what, he started out disparaging and despising his own troops. He looked down on them. He had this British aristocracy to him. But after he, he wintered with them in Valley Forge, and after he fought with them, and after he encouraged them, the battle united the two of them, and all of a sudden, general and army became one. And he felt a kindredness with them and a brotherhood to them. And that was what got them through the Revolutionary War. That was what kind of kept the Continental Army together. That's what battles do. They bond people together. And God wishes to bond himself with you through your battles. Demonstrate to you that he loves you through your battles. And he wants to battle. He wants to actually give you the power you need to face the challenges that are too big for you. We need to look up and see that. Um, One of the ways that God fought the battle through Stephen was giving him this impromptu sermon. We're not going to exegete every verse. Actually, let me give you a summary of what Stephen was saying. Um, Stephen, summary of Stephen's message was this. He said this to his, who, who, to his brethren. He said, God gave the temple and the law of Moses to open your eyes to Jesus, but you are too blind to see it. God, it was almost as if God decided to provide two different spotlights, both of which would shine on and point to the Son of God. But what you, brethren, have done is you've gotten fixated on the spotlights. And you're like looking way into the spotlights. And as a result, you're blind. You, you can't even look up and see who the spotlights are pointing to. And, and you're stiff-necked and you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit could open your eyes. Nothing could keep God located to a certain I mean look at how God followed around Abraham and Joseph and God met his people in crazy circumstances and he's not stopping today so quit chanting the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord and expecting that you're safe you're not safe you're only safe in Jesus so look to Jesus that was his message and they didn't like that message nevertheless he spoke with God's power So we need to look up and see that God is fighting the battle through us. Um, But we also need to look up and see that God has won the battle for us. God has won the battle for us. This is so important because this is ultimately up to God. Look with me at Acts 6 verses 54 through 60. Read so powerfully by Mary Margaret. Thank you so much for ministering this part of the text to us. Now when they... people Stephen was preaching to heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. 
He was looking up, and what did he see? He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What a beautiful vision that was. Jesus standing. When Jesus stands, you get to see who has won the battle over death because there was a time when Jesus was laying down because he was dead as a doornail. And now Jesus is standing up. He's mocking death. He's declaring victory over death. And he has the authority of his father right next to him. His father always had his back. His father was always going to raise him from the dead. So you see his father, and you see him, and he's standing, and he's, he's a victor over death, and he's a victor over sin, and he's a victor in history. When Jesus stands, he steps on the stake that would otherwise bite us and kill us. When Jesus, uh, when Jesus stands, he shows us that he's coming soon, that he's ready. He's ready to come to our aid. In fact, he's already come to our aid. Ready to use our humble offering to bring victory in the same way that his father used his humble offering. Jesus says, just give me your life and I will make it count for my sake and for my kingdom. Or in other words, come to me all who are weary, under pressure, stressed, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is the way. And this allows Stephen to abandon the outcome of his battle to the father. This is so important. Stephen at some point and we at some point need to abandon the outcome of our battle to the Father. One day you and I will face our biggest battle. We will face our own death. Don't you want to pass that test? Don't you want to walk through death faithfully? Don't you want to walk through death with the power of the Holy Spirit and faith? If you do, you are called to abandon the outcome of that battle to the Father, to entrust your life and entrust your death to the Father and commit your life uh, to Him. If we are going to be ready to do that, we have to be ready to commit our current battles to the Father, to commit our soul to God, to commit our relationships to God, to, to commit our art to God, to commit our vocations to God. And God did win the battle. I want you to consider the outcome of Stephen's life. Saul, who is also a, uh, uh, a Hellenistic Jew, heard the gospel when Stephen preached. And even though he didn't respond right away to it, it laid the groundwork for him to have an amazing encounter with the living Christ and, and convert. That conversion led to church planting and the New Testament and the birth of the mission of the church. Stephen was a bridge, and the gospel passed over his life and over his death and spread throughout the whole world. You and I continue to receive the fruit of God's labor through Stephen. The persecution that would follow would scatter the church worldwide, and Stephen's death became a symbol of the power of God. You and I have an opportunity when we are facing our battles to look up and see that God is fighting through us and that God has won the battle for us. Last week, I wanted to, to give you the simplest form of studying the Bible that I could think of. And today, I want to give you the simplest form of prayer that I have been taught. 
And in order to do that, I would like to ask you, if you're comfortable, to please stand. All of you, please stand. And I want to pass on to you what has been passed on to me, what has been passed on since the days of the early church and the Desert Fathers, which is a way of combining our breathing and our praying. What I want to teach you is a prayer of abandoning outcomes of our life to the Father. And it is modeled after Stephen's cry before he died, a cry that allowed him to forgive his enemies and commit his life and death to the Father, and a cry that actually comes from Jesus on the cross. When Jesus cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Some of us need to commit certain battles to God that we have been fighting on our own, relational battle, vocational battle, a battle with our own souls. So the prayer goes like this. We, 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 breathe, in, we breathe in the word Father. We are praying, we are taking in and focusing on God's fatherly care over our life. And when we breathe out, we are breathing out, into your hands I commit my spirit, my battle. Fill in the blank. Into your hands I commit the project at work, my estranged son, the challenge that I cannot myself fix, maybe a leadership challenge that you have. Father, into your hands I commit this challenge, this battle. I want to walk us through this right now. Uh, if you are comfortable and ready, I want to encourage you to, op- to just open up your hands, open up, and even maybe even look up and take a big breath as you pray in your soul, Father. And slowly breathe out into your hands, I commit, and then just fill in the blank. And do that as many times as your spirit needs to do that. And if you are not... You, you don't know Jesus, you're not walking with him. Now, even now, I want you to say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me so that I can legitimately pray this prayer and receive your Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you now. Father, I commit this congregation into your hands and all the battles that are represented here. And I do ask for your Holy Spirit to fall on every single one of us here and fall on us as a congregation because we need to commit our mission to you. We, we are uh, called, Lord, astoundingly to carry out the mission of the gospel that Stephen carried with him and to do so with the same amount of humility and grace and spiritual power that he had. So, Father, I commit this congregation to you, our future to you, our mission to you. Help us all see that you are fighting for us, that you are fighting with us. And I pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.